Again, if you would, uh, take out your Bibles and let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, the trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning. The third day, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We are amazed, God, by your creation. Father, help us as we study this word. Be with this your servant. May we understand, may we grow in our knowledge, may we be encouraged in your gospel. May our love for Jesus grow as we understand your word. We do ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were going to tell a story, how far back would you go? Uh, Would you start your story with the end of the story in mind? Would you need to give the backstory before telling the main story? Or maybe uh, you'd go off on some uh, rabbit trails and tell uh, another part of the story before remaining, uh, coming back to the main story. Often, how the story is told is almost as important as the story itself. The book of Genesis, the first book in our Bible, tells the backstory of all of history, and in particular, the history of redemption. 
It has the end in mind, as all the scriptures do. The end of all things, the final redemption of the world in Christ. You see where things begin, and then we have a glimpse into where things will be once again. Genesis also tells us something of the side stories which have an impact on the main story. Now, it is important for us to understand right from the beginning, right from the get-go, that Genesis is a work of history. It is a historic narrative written, first of all, to answer the question of the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt. They were asking, who are we and where did we come from? Moses, the human author, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins the narrative in the beginning. Now, not in the beginning of the Hebrew people. He begins in the beginning. He begins with God. And demonstrates God's creative imagination, which culminates in this part of the story with the creation of God's image bearers, human beings. Now there's so much that is going on in Genesis, particularly in these uh, first three chapters or so. We, We could spend many months maybe even many years, taking a deep dive into all the various themes and all the various aspects of the the narrative. But for our purposes, I think it's important that we take a step back to to move the camera lens uh, into maybe a wide angle, if you will, and get an idea of the bigger picture, of the, the bigger story which is at work. And so with this in mind, as we begin this study in Genesis, I want you to note, first of all, that there's a pattern to God's creation. Creation was accomplished in six days with one day of rest. And within those six days, we see that there are two triads of days. The first three days, which we are looking at today... These speak of God's making the form of creation. Perhaps uh, one way to illustrate this is by what we might call hardscaping. If you were to plant a a garden, uh, you would first want to prepare the soil. Perhaps you would build a raised bed. Perhaps you'd put a fence around your garden. This is all done prior to putting any plants in the ground. In a similar way, God has prepared creation he, by forming it and shaping the cosmos during these first three days in preparation for the filling of the earth in the final three days of creation. And so there are these two triads. Another pattern to note concerning these triads is that each have a correspondence to the other. Day one, uh, and the light corresponds to day four. Day two corresponds with day five. Day three corresponds with day six. And so in the first three days, God separated the light from the darkness. He separated the waters from the earth. And he populated the earth with various plants. And in the second set of days, God filled the world that he had made 
He filled it with the great lights for the sky, the sun, moon, and stars. He filled the separated waters with the living things, birds of the air, fish of the sea, various sea creatures. And he filled the earth with life of animals. And of course, human beings made in his image. And so if Genesis were a picture... And in particular, the creation account, uh, we're, want, we're going to want to take, try and take in the whole scene. More than just focusing on one uh, brushstroke here or one pixel there. Now, of course, there will be times as we study this, uh, this book that we're going to stop, we're going to take a closer look at something, look at something more in detail. That's a natural part of any study you might do in the scriptures. But I I mentioned this uh, as part of our introduction to to remind us to keep the whole counsel of God in mind. To to consider where, where is this narrative heading to? Where is this leading us to? So again, is, is the end in mind? Because we want to get a sense of redemptive history. Genesis points us to the coming of the promised Messiah and the salvation which is found through Jesus Christ and to the eschaton, to the end of all things. It's, it's leading us in that direction. So we want to have those things in mind. And so today we're looking at the first uh, three days of creation, the form of creation. Next week we'll look at the filling of creation and the culmination uh, in the creation of man. And then the following week after that we'll be looking at uh, the seventh day, uh, the day of rest. And so we begin where Genesis begins, and that is at the beginning. At the very beginning, God created the heavens in the earth. Now, if, if someone were to ask you, well, where did we come from? How did we get here? The answer is God. God is the origin of all that exists. God made all things through the power of His Word. He spoke the cosmos into existence, ex nihilo, that is, out of Nothing. God made all things, and as we consider the origin of the world, from from it we learn something also of the character of God. Now this makes sense, for the Creator Himself is the main character of the story. God is the main character of all of Scripture. He is the main character of all of history. Which is to say, by the way, that mankind is not the center of the story. The creatures are not the center of the story, contrary to popular belief. The story isn't all about us. We are bit players in the story of the cosmos. And so it is here that we see display the majesty and the glory of God in His creation. For unlike humanity, God Himself does not have a beginning. 
He has always been. He transcends his creation. God is without beginning. He is neither begotten nor made. God had no opposition. God had no equal. God is in no way limited in his power. Before the beginning, there was only the eternally existing triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God was fully satisfied within himself. He was, within, he was in perfect community within himself. In no way does God rely on or need his creation. God set forth his creation for the joy of it within himself. And so as the scene opens, in the beginning, God. It is God who is the primary actor. It is God who has the prerogative to create. It is God who is displaying his incredible power, his imagination, his wisdom. And the cosmos endures because of God's infinite power and wisdom. The plants and the trees produce thousands of fruits to provide food and seeds for more plants and trees. So God has designed a system in which everything grows and works together and has an abundance. Thus the goodness and the gift-giving of God is manifested, uh, is manifestly observed in the world around us. Trees produce, plants produce. And so Genesis 1, verse 1 begins, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now in saying this, The reader is to understand that God created the totality of the cosmos. God created the heavens and the earth. The whole of the organized universe in which we live, that is what is encompassed in the heavens and the earth. You can't see most of the heavens. Well, you can see the earth, but you can't see most of the heavens. It's the vastness of the universe. That's what's to be understood. The heavens and the earth is used in other places in the scripture to to denote the same idea of the totality of all things. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 3, it says, What God is there in the heavens or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? And so the heavens and the earth is everything which exists in the whole of the vast universe. And so you think, as we think about the, the picture, the, the camera has backed up, right? It's a very wide angle. Genesis has, starts off with the whole of the vast universe in view, but then quickly begins to narrow the focus on our little planet, which at this point is lifeless and formless. However, in God's creative power, He will transform that formless and lifeless world into an ordered and fruitful world. And so verse 2 describes the earth as formless and void. As God creates the heavens and the earth, and it says immediately that the earth essentially was an empty wasteland. You'll note that the creation of the heavens and the earth here in Genesis... It doesn't actually mention here that God spoke them into existence, but we know that this is the case from other parts of Scripture. 
In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and the breath of his mouth all their hosts. And so the earth, the whole heavens, they were spoken out of nothing by God. They came into being, they but begin as lifeless, formless, and void. Now at this point there are numerous questions which may come to mind. First of all, you may ask, well, could not God have simply spoken the universe into existence already full of life? Why begin by creating a formless, dark, and void earth, and then spend the next six days forming it and filling it? Now the answers to these questions cannot be fully known, of course. We do not know the secret will of God. But it seems apparent from the whole of Scripture that God wanted to communicate something to us, even through His work of creation. First and foremost, the six days of creation and the six days of labor and one day of rest. The pattern which God gives to us. And further, creation demonstrates an aspect of man being made in God's image. God has an imagination and is creative and mankind can do likewise to some degree. Another question which may come to mind has to do with the timing of these things. When did the lifeless and void earth come into being? And are we to include this with day one of creation? Or did this occur sometime prior to day one? Now this too is difficult to be certain on. One clue which may help us is the phrase, in the beginning. Now the term beginning in biblical Hebrew marks the starting period of a measured frame of time, such as the beginning of the year. We do this as well, as we tend to think, we, th- we tend to think of most of January as the beginning of the year, right? We, here it is, it's January 2nd, this is the beginning of the year. And we think about the end as being December, that's the end of the year. So the beginning is not a momentary point in time, but rather a time period. And we don't say that the moment when the clock strikes midnight on January the 1st, that's the beginning of the year, but at 12.01, it's no longer the beginning of the year. We We don't speak that way. We might consider the whole month of January to be the beginning of the new year. Well, in the Bible, the same thing happens. For instance, in calculating the length of the king's reign, the Israelites would often would not include the beginning, which may have been a few months or even a years in length. And if we take into account the author's choice for the beginning, if we take that just at face value, the text seems to be telling us that God created the universe in terms of the materials of the universe the physical universe, during an unspecified length of time, which is called the beginning, and which is then followed by a single seven-day week, six days of creation and one day of rest. 
But how long was that beginning period? We don't know. We're not told. It could have been a moment in time. It could have been, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and immediately begins day one. It could have been many years, as one would calculate time. This is impossible to answer, as time is not reckoned until God declares the first day. And for this reason, then, I would suggest not getting too wrapped up over things like carbon dating and the age of the earth. It may be that the earth is old, as one would understand age. It may be that the earth is young, relatively speaking. It may be that there was a prolonged period of time in the beginning, or that there was a moment in time before the earth was formed and filled by God. This is beyond the purpose, though, of the narrative. Genesis isn't trying to answer that question for us. Genesis is not concerned with the when and the how of creation, but rather with the who and the why. That is what scriptures is concerned about. You know, you and I can study the nature, we can study nature, we can investigate the age of things, we consider how something were to take place. Uh, this is, by the way, doing science that is a worthwhile study. Theology, though, is more concerned with the fact that God created the heavens and the earth, and he did so for his glory. And so however long it was, verse 2 says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Matter of all sorts had been spoken out of nothing by God. God then was going to form it into something. It was, John Calvin said, a rude and unpolished or rather shapeless chaos. And by chaos, Calvin is not speaking of confusion, but rather of being formless and void. Now, as it says, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, we're also not to understand that the cosmos was all just made up of water. This is a metaphor of sorts, of the chasm, uh, or the as yet unstructured and ungoverned creation. Water is often used to speak of death or lifelessness. And it is interesting to note that just as God recreated the world after the flood waters in the days of Noah, He first created the world from the waters, or in this case, the shapeless, ungoverned abyss, which He had called into being. And so out of the void, God would bring forth order, He would bring forth form, He would bring forth beauty, He would bring forth perfection. And so it is here now that we move from the indeterminate beginning to the six days when God began to form and shape His creation. And we're starting today, of course, with the first three And so verse 3 is now the first place that Moses records God speaking. Up to this point, it just has stated what God had done. But here, God speaks, and he declares, let there be light. Now, of course, we should not assume that God was not speaking before. 
He had spoken all things into existence. This is just the first place that Moses records him speaking. It is also not the case that God created the universe using some sort of pre-existing material. Any material which exists came from God. God spoke it into existence. The universe itself is not eternal. Only God is eternal. The universe has a beginning. God does not have a beginning. And so God made the cosmos, and then he began to govern his creation by first declaring that there be light. And he did this to distinguish it from the darkness. Now, day one may not necessarily describe the creation of the sun, although it might. Rather, what is in view is the creation, though, of light. God created light. God separated the light from the darkness, which would then be used to demarcate day from night. Notice that after God had called the cosmos into being... It was, it was, as it says, formless and void. And then, the first thing needed was to separate darkness from the light. Now think about this. Even the physical phenomenon of darkness, which is the absence of light, did not exist prior to creating all that there is. God said, let there be light. And there was light. The light which comes from God was separated, was made distinct from the darkness. In fact, light chases away the darkness. The Apostle John, in his Gospel, makes much of this. Using as a metaphor for the work that Christ has done and is doing. Christ is the light chasing away the darkness of sin. Light chases away darkness, not the other way around. Darkness cannot chase away light. In order for darkness to abide, the light must be removed. But when the light comes, darkness disappears. So what we experience as a phenomenon in creation has a spiritual reality. God created it this way. This is speaking spiritual things to us. This is not just an accidental circumstance. God's creation of light and darkness is a natural revelation of spiritual realities. And, of course, they're useful in other ways as well. God separated the light from the darkness, and He separated the day from the night. This is how He would demarcate days. He gave us time. He gave us a way to account for time. Verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening... And there was morning, the first day. And so the empty wasteland of initial creation is being formed, is being molded, and the, fir- and the first day begins with light. And a demarcation of time. And this is all, of course, preparing the earth for what is to come in the creation of man. Now on day two, God calls for an expanse. Now what what seems to be in view here is the atmosphere or uh, the sky, which is also called the heavens. 
The Hebrew word here is a word that's used to, to describe the spreading out or the covering of a canopy or the stamping out of metal. The word is used in Job as describing the atmosphere to be like a beaten out dome of metal. Now, this is not to say that the authors of Scripture conceived of the world being covered with a metal dome or some kind of solid canopy. This is a metaphoric way of describing the tight seal of the atmosphere, which, by the way, is in many respects quite accurate. God separated the heavens, which contained the waters, from the earth, which contained the waters. The sky has the waters found in the clouds. The earth has the seas, which will soon themselves be separated from land. Now, there are waters which are above the expanse, and there are waters which are below the expanse. You'll note, as well, that this is all what we would call phenomenological language. It's a very long word, which I will not spell for you. But phenomenological language, that is, language which describes what we see with our naked eye from a human, earthbound perspective. This is, in a sense, you could say, God's condescending to us, describing things in ways which we could then understand. The Hebrews understood the clouds produced rains, which would fall down from the sky. And so it is, in that sense, coming from the expanse. But what we have here is the beginning of an ordering of the earth. God is ordering it. He's molding it. He's forming it. He's doing this in preparation for it to support life. And so the lifeless and the formless is being formed and prepared for life. The skies, the expanse is filled with water in the form of clouds. And so again, what is being described here is particular to the earth from a perspective, from an earthly perspective. It's not taking into account all of the universe. Remember that the camera has now focused on our little planet. And once God has completed his separating and forming the expanse, again, there's evening and morning, thus now the second day. Now on the third day, God took the waters. They were under the heavens, that is to say, the waters that are on the earth. And he gathers them together into a place so that dry land would appear. Now up to this point, the whole of the earth would have been filled with or covered in water. But that water was now being separated from the earth. And so land appears and what you now have formed are seas and lakes and rivers so as God continues to form and shape the earth, again, he sees what he's doing is good. He continues to declare, this is good. And from here, we, he, God also causes the earth to sprout forth with various plants, which produce seed and fruit. The earth has now become the agent through which God mediates his generative powers. Nature is God's mediated power where he governs and he cares 
for the world. He has set forth a system which is giving good gifts, bringing forth the gifts of fruit and seed and food. This is why we can speak of natural revelation. For in this, God has caused the plants to thrive and give forth their produce. And that goes on in a cycle, in a system. Now, of course, nature itself is not to be deified. This is a violation of God's law. It is a violation of natural revelation itself. There is no such thing as Mother Nature. God displays His power. God gives forth life as the earth sprouts forth. And so He's put these natural processes in place. God is the master designer. And He has appointed all things for their purposes. Now on this third day, we also had seen that God had put forth these plants. And you know, often we think about plants as being living things. But they're not alive in the same sense as animals are. In, in most particular, of course, not the same way as people. And, uh, plants, rather, do not have the breath of life. Uh, plants don't have the blood of life. Animals are spoken of in a different fashion. Of course, man is made in God's image. It sets us apart even more. And so this is why... Plant life in this, in this third day is, is part of the, the forming of the earth. It's in preparation for life which would come. God has uh, provided plants for the, crea- the creatures which would come. The birds, the fish, the animals. Those would come on the days five and six. So God has prepared. He has, if you will, hardscaped uh, the earth in preparation And we'll talk more about days 5 and 6, 4, 5, and 6 next time. Well, as we come to a a close, I hope you can see, or at least begin to see, that the Bible boldly declares that God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. All that exists came from His hand. The Bible is boldly declaring this. Unapologetically declaring this. And he did so by the word of his power, and he did so in the space of six days, and he declares it to be good. In fact, after a man is created, he declares all of creation to be very good. We saw, we see this week the forming of the earth. Next week we'll look at the filling. Now there are some who, in looking at the creation account of Genesis... See a conflict between the Word of God and the study of science. I've touched on this already. But just as a reminder, because I think this is important to understand, to keep this, at least these categories in mind, the Bible is more concerned with the who and the why of creation, while science concerns itself with the when and the how. Science cannot answer the who and the why of creation. The Bible largely is silent on the when and the how. In some sense, it's beside the point that it's really being driven at. And so in this sense, there is no conflict between science and scriptures. There are some people who create a conflict between the two, but there's not actually any conflict with the, the true study of science and study of the scriptures. 
There are many unanswered questions concerning when all this took place, how God accomplished it, beyond, of course, just speaking all things into existence. But far from being discouraged by the attacks of the world against the creation of the account of the Scriptures, the Christian ought to be encouraged by the reasons for creation and who it is who did it. That should be our focus. These are the questions that we as followers of Jesus can and should joyfully answer. Genesis 1 gives us the who of creation, because God is the center of the story. And all of Scripture gives us the why God made all things for His glory. God brought all this about for the redemption of people for His glory. In addition, in creation, we see something of God's character. We learn about something of who God is in how He creates. He is imaginative. He is creative. God is orderly. He takes the formless and void chaos, the disorder, and He orders it. And He's made a very orderly world. We can, we can see that just by looking at the world. And the other thing you'll note is God cares for even the most minute of details. Things that most of us will sort of overlook, not pay any attention to, God cares about those things. If God cares about the most minutest of details, how much more does He care about you? As His image bearer. As the one that Jesus came to save. If God could care about such minute details of the world, how could, you, how could we possibly have any anxiety over, does God even care about me? Of course He does. In the creation account, we also see the goodness of all that was made. God, God didn't, didn't create the world with evil. Evil comes later. We'll, of course, we'll read about that as we get more into Genesis. All things were made very good. The universe, the universe was formed in perfection. We inhabit a world which matters to God and ought to matter to us. Jesus Christ has redeemed sinners from sin. Colossians 1 reminds us that He is reconciling all things to Himself. Which is to say that Christ not only redeemed us to Himself, but He will return and reconcile all things to Himself. Again, the end is in mind. There is going to be a new heavens and new earth. All of creation fell with Adam. We will study that in coming weeks. Jesus is reconciling all things. All that is wrong with the world will be made new and right. The new heavens and new earth will be renewed and reconciled heaven and earth. And so though you and I live in a fallen world, we can enjoy the creation which God has so wondrously formed in preparation for the creation of humanity, His image bearers, who He will then enter into covenant relationship with who, though we rebel against Him, He redeems and saves. The end of the story is in view as well. Let's pray together. Father in Heaven, we thank You, O God, for this account of Your creation. 
We are amazed at this, the, the vastness of our universe. We're amazed even by the most minutest of details on this planet. And so we give you praise and glory for you are the creator and you are the sustainer. But you brought forth all things and you set forth systems so that the earth would be fruitful. Even as you then command your people to be fruitful and multiply. We're also encouraged, O oh God, as we learn something of your character, your care. And we thank you that as you set all these things forth, that you had in mind the redemption of your people. We thank you for Jesus who came to save sinners and who is even now reconciling all things to himself. As his enemies have made a footstool under his feet, we look forward to the day when he returns again and makes all things new. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.